Hey there, We Can't Wrestle Podcast listeners. If you haven't noticed, we have switched our server to Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First of all, it's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So go ahead, download the free Anchor app, or go to anchor.fm to get started. Highly recommended by me and everybody else here at the We Can't Wrestle podcast. Well, 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 you can't wrestle. So what did you do? You went out there and you started a podcast. You got that right. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the We Can't Wrestle podcast. And I am Brian Pillman Jr. The We Can't Wrestle podcast is a podcast about wrestling and a bunch of guys that don't know how to do it. But I, Brian Pillman Jr., am very good at pro wrestling, so I don't need to start a podcast called the We Can't Wrestle podcast. But I'll gladly put my name on the brand. I'll gladly go on the line to say that the We Can't Wrestle podcast is one of the most informative, most balanced, non-biased podcasts out there. Thank you very much, and have a good listen. Hello, wrestling fans, and welcome. We're back. Episode 86 of the We Can't Wrestle podcast is on the air. Nate and Aaron here with you. Aaron, in the frozen tundra of West Central Ohio tonight. Uh, we're going to do a, a really good podcast. It's going to be wicked good. It's going to be okay. <laughs> we're actually going to talk about the uh, the Battle Royal from October 3rd, 1991 from Royal Albert Hall in London. And actually, I thought about it when I was watching it. Royal Albert Hall sounds like a professional wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> like a guy that wrestled like, you know, Buddy Rogers back in the 50s. Oh, man, I wish there was more footage of Royal Albert Hall. (laughs) But anyway, we're going to talk about that battle royal. And we're also going to talk about some guilty pleasures that we have of professional wrestling. We both asked for some interaction from our listeners, so we'll give you guys some shout-outs during that segment as well. Um, Before we start, I want to thank everybody for your patience with us getting up to another show. We've done some live videos in the uh, meantime to keep everybody entertained. And, of course, every single... Mine sucks. Sorry, guys. It was fine. It was fine. Every uh, By the way, you need to send me pictures so I can post them for those two items that you're willing to give the listeners for uh, inviting people to join our Facebook group. Um, But also, every Sunday night, live... In the uh, We Can't Wrestle Facebook group and on our YouTube page, which you need to go to, subscribe right now. Uh, It's We Can't Wrestle Live, talking about the modern product from 10.30 to 11.30 Eastern. Lots of great things happening with the We Can't Wrestle podcast in the year 2020. 
mid-year. I'll be able to be on that. Yes, you will. My shoot, my shoot job is... I shouldn't even say my shoot job, my actual job, because <laughs> this wouldn't be a shoot job because I don't even get paid. No, you get paid with my company, and that's about it. Um, the That, $2 will get you a fucking Pepsi. <laughs> Actually, two eleven with tax at this point. But yeah. um, the, the uh, I lost my train of thought there for a second. But yeah, a lot of stuff going on. The YouTube page is up and running. I'm going to try to get uh, the catalog of shows on the YouTube page. And if some people prefer to listen to things on YouTube, um, it's easy for you. You don't have to use an app or anything like that. So, um, Aaron, anything else you want to say to listeners before we start talking about well, some guilty pleasures here? Well, I'm going to ask you a current um, product question. Okay. And I put it on another. I put it on another Facebook group. There's a guy that, and you might, you, you could tell me I'm dumb if you want, but watching current stuff, this guy is my favorite current professional wrestler. Okay. Do you want to guess who it is? Um... If you saw the post, that's okay. I didn't, so I'm, okay. I'm going in blind. Um, is it a WWE guy? No. Okay. He's um, an NWA guy. NWA. It's funny because my current favorite wrestler is a NWA guy too. Um, but let me and you see. know me, you you know me better than anybody else. So just N- NWA. Just, Eli for Drake. Five seconds. Oh yes, you <laughs> hit the nail on the head. That is my I w- dude. I was gonna say either Eli Drake. I was gonna guess either Eli Drake or uh, Aaron Stevens. One of the two. I love Aaron Stevens too, but Eli Drake is my favorite current professional wrestler. He's really good, all around what, really good. Like, like what made you think that I thought it was Eli Drake? Just his personality. I know what kind of wrestlers, what kind of wrestling personalities you're drawn to. And his personality and his gimmick to me seem like something you would really dig. I dig his promo ability. I I dig his, I know promo ability, and then I say this, it's the same thing. I dig his, uh, like, ability to connect with the crowd. Uh He carries himself fantastic. Um, In the ring, he's he's good. He's not good. He's great in the ring, in my opinion. Somebody else was like, "Oh yeah, his promos are great, but he's pretty basic in the ring." It's like I, I don't think I don't think he's basic in the ring. I think what he does in the ring is really good, and I just I think that a major company is missing the boat, not having that guy. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, I think that I think that he would. I mean, I, I honestly, I think he would fit in more in the 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 NXT realm than a main roster realm. Yeah. But yeah, definitely a, a hell of a talent. So I'll let you guess who my current favorite wrestler in the world. It's it's funny because like my uh, Bell to Bell, my favorite wrestler in the world is probably AJ Styles. But at, at, at times you're you're attracted to different wrestlers at different times, and somebody catches. So who do you think? 
and I said NWA also, who do you think my favorite pro wrestler currently in the world is to watch? Nick Aldis? It's absolutely Nick Aldis. Nick Aldis is amazing. Like, I didn't appreciate, and I don't know if it's just because he didn't get to show it or what, but Nick Aldis, I didn't appreciate him when he was Magnus, you know? He was just kind of there. Yeah. Plus, I mean, I, not a huge follower of the Impact product anyway, but for the past couple of years, you know, once that guy got into NWA and started doing that character and started being that guy, that's what first caught me with the NWA, with the 10 Pounds of Gold series and, and the Tim Storm thing. And and Nick Aldis is, Nick Aldis is, he is, Kyle and I were talking about it Sunday, um, and I said he is the, he is the, uh, the NWA champion that Ric Flair was for a modern era with a modern twist. And Kyle even even stopped me and made me think about it. To an extent, he's even more Harley than he is Ric Flair. Um, he's a little more, like, deliberate with his promos. Yeah, he's and, not like, oh, I'm going to... I'm gonna stick it in your girlfriend's butt. Tomorrow. Right. Well, like, no. and I guess I guess with me, the the flair thing came from you know the, the suits in the class, and he's got a little kind of a horseman Whoa. group, and and he's just he's an he's Harley the he's, some suits, all he some awesome suits. <laughs> Aldis is my I, honestly, if he's not the best wrestler in the world, he's definitely the best heel in the world right now. Uh, oh yeah, he's great, and uh, the like. Nah, I know you guys talk about modern product. I don't know what you said, but out of all the current stuff that I've watched, there's one thing that every single week I make sure I go out of my way to watch, and that's the NWA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for it's me, for me, if I'm gonna have a week where I have to skip something or I have to, I have to really breeze through things just to be up on stuff for the the Sunday show, I am always going to watch NWA from beginning to end, and I'm always going to watch NXT from beginning to end. Those are my two favorite promotions. Um, and I think Stu's doing a good job. Yeah. Yeah, and he is. I he just, really is. I just, I enjoy that show. I enjoy that product. And Sean Mooney's back, baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Eli Drake is fantastic. I also really like Tim Storm. Yeah. He there's a lot of times where somebody's like, Oh, I'm this this down like how do I don't want to say it, like this down to earth guy and whatever and it seems how do I want to say it, like seems um dead air's bad. Like it, it, <laughs> it seems fake. Or whatever, but when that guy does it, it doesn't seem that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, and not at all. Um, and then I know we'll get we'll get to the only um, the only one, and I'm kind of I'm kind of pity pity pity. I'm kind of piggybacking off of the modern show this week. Um, just to get your thought on some things. But one thing I mentioned on there, we're talking about the NWA, you got me thinking about it. One guy, I don't know, I tried, I have tried, but the one guy that I don't get, I can't get on board with in the NWA, and I know they're pushing him, is Ricky Starks. I don't know what it is, but I just can't get on board with that guy. I don't know what it is about him. 
put the TV title on him, and I was just like, Ugh. <laughs> he must know, <laughs> he must know somebody. I don't know. I'm just saying. Where you starts? He's all right. Yeah, I'm not. I don't know. I just and again, it's not that I hate him. I just can't get get on board with him being pushed and being such a big part of the show. Um, but it again, it's it's there's. There's that wrestler in every promotion, you know, or multiple of that wrestler in every promotion. I'd rather watch I'd rather watch um, him than fucking Baron Corbin, that's for sure. <laughs> so now we're going to talk about some guilty pleasures we have as professional wrestling fans. You know, you have those things that you're not, I don't know, you're not supposed to like it or what have you, and uh, you like it anyway. So that being said, Aaron, I'm going to let you start. We'll talk about some of the listener ones as well. I asked you guys in our Facebook group, if you're not a part of the group, if you're listening to the show, join our Facebook group. There's a lot of interaction there, and I'm really happy with the amount of interaction that has really increased in the group over the past couple of months. Um, So thank you all for your participation. We appreciate it, and we appreciate your listenership. But Aaron, your first guilty pleasure you want to talk about. How many you got for this show? I got, I got... There's five on my list. I got four. Okay, and I, uh, the guilty pleasure thing is somewhat difficult for me because I don't usually, like, think about does somebody else like this, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I have five things on my list, and if I've repeated them, because I know we did this before, you can tell me I did, but... um. One thing I have is a movie, one I have is a show, one I have is a wrestler, one I have is a year, and one I have is a, uh, uh, like, program. Okay. Or storyline, whatever you want to call it. So, I will go with, um, the wrestler first, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. The wrestler. And it, the wrestler that I have that's a guilty pleasure to me is Disco Inferno. I know you dig Disco. People knock that guy and Glenn Gilberry, real name, and say, oh, it was a stupid gimmick and it was this and it was that and whatever. But that guy owned his fucking gimmick. Alright? Mm-hmm. He had no qualms about where he was at on the card and where he was at in the business and I think he was an entertaining funny decent professional wrestler and I enjoy the Disco Inferno gimmick. And he if you watch I mean if you think about the Monday Night War era what was what was one of the most consistent characters throughout all of all of the run of WCW for Monday Night? The motherfucking Disco Inferno. <laughs> and actually, one of my favorite, like, awkwardly funny moments ever is when he, you know, when he was first doing the gimmick and he'd come out on the stage with his little boombox thing. Yeah, and he's up on the stage with his little boombox doing his little disco duck dance, and uh, and like Mang and Haku Ro- like beat him up or whatever. The, I'm, I'm, the one I remember is Road Warrior Hawk, because Road Warrior yeah. Road Warrior Hawk I don't think ever even touched him. But it, when when Hawk's music hits, Gilberti goes, "Oh God, <laughs> yeah, I'm good, I'm good." Like he had no 
there, like a lot of professional wrestlers and a lot of whatever have a um, problem with being the brunt of the joke mm-hmm. or wanting to be the main star. And that guy, in my opinion, didn't have that problem and knew exactly what he was like. What like he was really good friends with Raven, all right, and I and I, I'm gonna paraphrase it, but Ray Scott Levy was talking about Glengill Birdie, and basically told, from what I understand, Kevin Sullivan, this guy doesn't want to be the next Hulk Hogan, he wants to be the next Honky Tonk Man, right. <laughs> Like, like, he didn't think, oh, I'm going to get in this business and I'm going to be, like, the biggest star in the world. He said, no. I know my limits. I know what I can do. I have this gimmick, and I'm going to make it the – I'm going to take it and make it the best that I can make it. And I think that the guy just fucking entertained me. I can't hate on that opinion. Um I'm a disco inferno mark. Slap my thumb, my, my knuckles, or whatever. I just like the guy. There are a lot of things that are that you can look back on now, even though at the time, at the time, we thought it was awesome. Now you watch a lot of the Attitude Era now, and you're like, man, this is some of this is rough, <laughs> you know. Um, there's some rough stuff during the Attitude Era. There's some great stuff, too. And that's the thing about the Attitude Era is great stuff outshines the rough stuff. But one of the things that uh, my, one of my guilty pleasures that I'm going to mention here is from the Attitude Era. I love the Stooges. Patterson and Briscoe as the Stooges is one of my guilty pleasures. For all, See, I wouldn't even- I wouldn't even put them on my list because I wouldn't consider them a guilty pleasure. Because if you don't like the Stooges, you don't like wrestling. (laughs) It's not all, Rock. It's not all. Like, those guys doing that gimmick in that era is... It's fucking genius. (laughs) And... They had what was it the second highest rated segment in raw history when they fought the mean street posse which honestly could be guilty pleasure on the list the stooges and the mean street posse well i'm just saying the mean street posse as a group that could Mm -hmm. be a guilty pleasure yeah those guys were they were entertaining as fuck but yeah patterson and briscoe I love when um, Vince gets held hostage <laughs> by Steve Austin, and Vince, like like and a lot of times they were around Vince, okay, mm-hmm. and Vince was like bullying them and bossing them around. But in a lot, it, like if you look at it, in a lot of ways, they were smarter than Vince. Yeah. <laughs> like, when Vince got held hostage, they were like, oh, Vince, oh. Like, like Steve 
came up with the Titantron and had a gun. And then all of a sudden they were like, oh, hey, Vince, I'll go get you some coffee. (laughs) I got to go get him. I got to help him get the coffee. You know, it's like they knew some shit was going to go down. It's just not going to go good. So we got to get away from him, you know. And oh, man. And of the two of them, even though even though to me, okay, my my observation anyway, you know, obviously Patterson had the most bombastic personality, right? Oh, Briscoe's undercover funny. Briscoe, oh yeah, Briscoe is so funny. He's so funny, Mister McMahon. Like he plays the best suck up in the history of wrestling ever. Like he is the best. I, I the word there's the word stooge, but he is the best. Like like for playing a toady. Gerald Briscoe played an amazing toady, like, and and he was so passionate about it. Like that interview you and I talk about all the time, where he's like, "If you mess with Mister McMahon, he'll kick you down in the dirt." In the dirt. <laughs> that wasn't even like a gimmick promo. That was just him talking about Vince. Yeah, <laughs> but but yeah, the Stooges were fantastic, and like. They did that deal in like ninety eight, early ninety eight, where like Briscoe was like with his family. Mm-hmm. You remember that thing on yeah. Raw? Yeah. Where like they were like showing him and all that shit. Like, uh, yeah, the the fucking Stooges are fantastic. I w- I wouldn't even I didn't even think to, I wouldn't even have thought of them as being a guilty pleasure because if you don't enjoy the Stooges. Fuck off. <laughs> well, what do you got next? The next thing on my list is I'll do the storyline. It's Vince McMahon versus God. Oof. People knock that thing. That saying. People knock that angle, but I think it was the last, like, really edgy, fantastic angle that that company ever did. Um, I mean, okay, I mean, I see what that, you're saying. That shit where Vince was, like, when he went into the fucking church and he <laughs> drank the holy water may, and spit it, may God and it came back down on him. May God and strike like, me down and Shane, Texas, and takes Shane, a step like, to the left. aside from him and <laughs> And it all culminated, like all came down to like Vince and Shane versus Shawn Michaels and God, and fucking Vince won. It, it was fantastic. And I believe I don't that, consider I, it sacrilegious. I, I really don't. I think it was Vince parodying himself. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like Vince McMahon himself is the man. Was making fun of himself. Right, which, which, in reality, you know, as William Regal said, at the end of everything, Vince always gets the worst of it. Because, yeah. you know, in in reality, he really, that whole Mr. McMahon gimmick was a parody of himself. Yeah. You know, and a parody of what, he, it was essentially a parody of what people think he is. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I believe that night where, uh, where Sean got beat, 
I believe that's the night where Jim Ross was like, oh, that's bullshit. bullshit. Sorry, folks. (laughs) It's like that angle was so great that Jim Ross got lost in it. Mm -hmm. And I think that even, I think because like God was involved or whatever, people missed the idea of it. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I just, Vince McMahon versus God was a great storyline. And it's the last hurrah for me in the modern product that really was like, this shit's edgy. It's fun to watch. And I enjoyed it. So for me, the next thing is uh, you kind of said you had a year. I, I have a year or two, and it's one that gets shit on a lot, and it's a guilty pleasure of mine, and I have a few reasons why. I a guilty pleasure of mine is the WWF in 1995. That was my year, bro. Oh, well, all right. I guess we'll be on on the same page. And there's, there's fans that we have that are older fans that listen that hate or dislike, I won't say hate, but dislike the, the cartoony WWF from like, I don't know, 85 to this time, about 95. But as, we, as I grew up, I grew up in the 80s, the WWF, I, you know, I liked the NWA, I liked the WCW, but w, I was always a WWF guy. And 95 is is fun for a few reasons, in that firstly, yes, there was some hot shit garbage going on, like Mantar, or what have you. But, it was the end of that. It's like watching that, it, you're watching the end of that cartoon era, you know what I mean? Watching the end even of, some the, of the Even some of the cartoon era shit, yeah, it was a cartoon gimmick. And it was kind of a cartoon angle. But what the fuck was going on was fantastic. Yes, and I was going to say kind of that. Like, uh, let's just use as an example, you know, Glenn Jacobs as Dr. Isaac Yankum. Okay, he comes in, he's in this silly dentist gimmick, blah, blah, blah. But he tore... But he ripped shit up with Bret Hart. Yes, he did. He tore the fucking house down. So did Jean-Pierre Lafitte. Okay, he's a pirate. Yeah, they're feuding over a fucking jacket, but those guys wouldn't do that in you ha- in, in your house at a fucking fantastic match. Mm-hmm. Bret Hart and Bret Hart. I'm gonna say this: Bret Hart is the unsung hero of 1995. That guy had so much good shit mm-hmm. in that year. He took he carried Kevin Nash to three amazing matches. Well, one was in '94, but he carried he, he carried Nash to two amazing matches in '95. Um, probably his only boner of '95, and I don't know. It was they were they were snake bit from the beginning, just the way the match was set up and stuff. His match with Backlund at Mania that year is not good. Oh, but Piper's Piper was the boner. Well, in that. that and the gimmick, the gimmick of the match. They should have submission. It just, I don't know. It was, but anyway, I don't want to. I'm going to harp on that. But I'm just saying, you're what right. What do you say? <laughs> what do you say? 
Um, but you're right. Brett was the MVP, absolutely the MVP, uh, not just of the WWF, but to me, he was the MVP of 95 in wrestling. Oh, yeah. Um, and it also had, you know, 95 had the fantastic Shawn Michaels concussion angle. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that moment where as a, a, what would I have been at the time? Probably a, I don't know, 15, 16 year old kid at the time watching that raw, not being, not being a smart fan. That was the most real thing. You know what I mean? Like, is this real? Yeah. Is this real? I mean, they pulled it off perfectly. Um, there's so much from 95 I could talk about that just make it such a great year to me. Um, going back, being nostalgic. And like I said, I mean, there's some crap, but there's some crap in every year in every federation. There, and, um, just, like, 95, I just, I just think it gets shit on too much. Mm-hmm. And, I, that's just how I feel about it. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other highlights that I wanted to... I mean, probably the lowlights of 95 would be the King of the Ring. Um, King of the Ring's pretty bad in 95. Um, I, I can't think... Of, you know, like I said, I, I do think about some of the Raws and some of the shitty gimmicks, especially toward, at the beginning of 95, which was coming off my least favorite year in the history of the WWF, which is 94. 94 is boring. I mean, there were some good pay-per-view matches and stuff, you know, with like Owen and Brett. That feud was going on. You have Michaels and Razor at Mania and, and Brett and Owen at Mania. But overall, to me, 94 is my least favorite year in the WWF. And I, I think 95 outshines that by a gajillion. 95 might even yeah. be better than 93, you know? Yeah. But that's all I got to say about that. All right. Um, my list back up. The next thing on my list is well, I'll let you pick. Okay. I have a wrestling television show, mm-hmm. and I have a wrestling movie. Let's do the movie. The movie that I have that is a guilty pleasure, because if you guys don't know the definition of a guilty pleasure, it is something that is considered terrible, 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 as, as Charles Barkley would say, terrible, that deep down you know is terrible, but you still love it. It is Grunt the Wrestler. <laughs> I knew that was the one you were going to bring up. <laughs> I love that goddamn movie. <laughs> Uh, I, when you said you had a movie on your list, I knew that was the one you were going to bring up. Fucking love it. I haven't seen it near as many times as you have. It is the... Con- I'm going to watch it when we're done. It is the con- it is the Kentucky Fried movie of pro wrestling. <laughs> oh, it's fucking fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's the greatest wrestling movie ever made. It's definitely better than Old Bard. <laughs> And Noel's Bard is actually Duke. a fun movie. Dookie. Over the 
for those of What's that, <laughs> for those for our listeners who are not familiar with Grunt, why don't you give them just a little synopsis of Grunt? Grunt is a fantastic movie where Mad Mad Dog Mercurso or whatever gets decapitated or supposedly decapitates the Mad Russian at the beginning of the movie and and they seek him out throughout the movie um and everybody's in it like adrian street's in it It, it, it's fucking fantastic like you 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 can't put it in the words or i can't put it in the words about how fantastic it is like i used to go with my brother to uh like video connection and that's like hey okay let's let's rant wrestlemania 4 but let's also get grunt the wrestling movie <laughs> and nate would be like no i don't want to get grunt the wrestling movie They're like fuck you we're getting it because it's fantastic <laughs> check it out if you can find it i don't know if it's streaming anywhere but i definitely say check out grunt mad dog mancuso and the bunch it's a great movie. Um, <clears throat> Miss Guzzi. All right. So my last two are actually wrestlers, so I'll start with the first one. Guilty Pleasure, Heath Slater. Hold on. Let's do this. Okay. It's 1979. Mad Dog. Mad Dog. Mad Dog. It's 1979. Mad Dog. Mad Dog. Joe DeCurso accidentally decapitates his opponent in a championship match. After the match, Mad Dog, Mad Dog goes into hiding. Many rumors say he killed himself by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. Years later, after the decapitation controversy comes up again, and the wrestling fans and promoters want a new champion, in comes The Mask, a wrestler who's wearing a wrestling-style mask is very similar to what Mad Dog used to wrestle like. Joined the documentary filmmaker Leslie Uggams and the president of the Mad Dog Joe DiCurso fan club as they followed the mask and try to figure out is Joe the mask or is the mask Joe? <laughs> and I said Mancuso. I I guess I blanked on DiCurso or DiCurso or that's the fucking description of the movie, and it's fucking fantastic. And um, I'm trying to see what the oh no, um, <laughs> IMDb says it's fucking five point one out of ten. It's ten out of ten, bitches. <laughs> Watch it. It's fantastic. All I have to tell you is fucking Adrian Streets in that match. Or not in that match. In that fucking movie. <laughs> it's fantastic. So my next one on my list. There's a scene where oh, she's God. like, are you, are you the... There's a scene where they're like, are you the... Are you <laughs> Joe DeCurso? And the then punch. they stand up and just punch him right in the face. It's fucking fantastic. <laughs> I won't interrupt you again, sorry. Well, Heath Slater. Yeah, I can't describe that goddamn movie, and Heath Slater's fantastic too. I got kids. <laughs> I got kids. 
and um, he's he's always been good. He's never been used. He gets used properly for just a minute. You know, they let him be him for just a minute. He's he's been a part of great things, and like I'm a fan of three man band. You know what I mean? I liked that gimmick. Um, yeah. And I mean, is I would, he still employed? Heath, yeah, he still he still works there. I haven't seen him in ages, but he's still. I mean, you see him pop up on the house shows and stuff. Um, he's okay. He was part of Three Man Band, which I loved because I loved Drew McIntyre and I loved Heath Slater. Jinder Mahal's passable. Um, he was he was. Um, you know, of course, the thing I got kids. That's the thing with Brock Lesnar. Yes, um, he was his shit with Rhino. When like they went to Rhino, or when they went to Heath Slater's house. Yeah, and, and like Rhino was eating the cheese curds. <laughs> <all that shit. laughs> and he's a good wrestler. I, I I think he's a missed opportunity for WWE. Um, and do you see what I'm saying about the modern product? I'm not a modern product guy, but what do I remember? Rhino eating cheese crackers with like he's <laughs> and just chilling. Like chances are, that was probably Rhino and Heath Slater coming up with that on their own. It was improvised, absolutely. That's the best shit. The way wrestling used and, to be, and that is what's missing in professional wrestling is allowing wrestlers to take shit that they think is funny or entertaining or exciting and allowing them to do it. Now, it's like, unless we wrote it on a paper or it was suggested by Vince or Hunter or Steph, we're just not going to do it. It's, uh, like that Heath Slater stuff is is reminiscent to me of I mean how good was the stuff where they went to Doctor D David Schultz house Oh it's fantastic or like I honestly I love that I love that I love that but my favorite Doctor D outside of the ring thing is with Vince McMahon and the guns because that gun goes off and Vince is so mad <laughs> he's like you crazy bastard Yeah. I, I love when they go to Dr. D's house. <laughs> like they show the fucking sink where he's like, what's this, the city dump? <laughs> and he's trying to put out like a classy fucking set, you know. Uh, he's trying to put out like some classy shit and it's like fucking KFC. Yeah, and there's fried chicken. Pizza and Hut. <laughs> and pizza Hut, yeah. <laughs> All right, so what's next on your guilty pleasures list? It's funny that we brought that up. The last thing on my list, and there's a lot of wrestling people out there that knock this thing, okay? Mm-hmm. It's a TV show, and I understand why they knock it. I get it if you don't like it, but to me, it's entertaining as fuck. You ready? I am. It's Tuesday Night Titans. TNT has some amazing shit on it. I I understand. It's not it. The, TNT is, was the the it, it's sports entertainment. I mean, if you 
if you are a, uh, a Jack Briscoe guy, you're probably not digging on TNT. But, man, I don't care. There's, it's entertaining. There's so much great goddamn shit <laughs> on TNT. It's fucking fantastic. And if... Like... If you don't like it, I, I if you don't like it, I don't want to say you don't have a sense of humor, but I know a lot of times people go, "Oh, I hate Vince McMahon's sense of humor," and I see it sometimes. But if you ever want to see a glimpse of the sense of humor that Vince McMahon has, all you have to do is watch TNT. Well, not just that. Fantastic. Not just that, but TNT isn't just Vince's sense of humor, because TNT, and this is where else, this is where I'm definitely going to defend TNT. It took these wrestlers. The, TNT was the catalyst for most of these guys making a fuck ton of money for the next five to six years. Yeah, because because and, because what TNT did was it would t- it took those wrestlers. And to a mainstream audience, not just the wrestling audience, but to a mainstream audience, it showed their personalities, it showed their characters. They went on that show and they got to showcase themselves and be themselves. You know, you know yeah. Vince McMahon didn't tell Iron Sheik to name his camel Claude. Yeah, that's you what know? I'm saying. Like, and, and, I, and I know what you're saying, but it's like Vince McMahon was like, hey. Let's put Iron Sheik with the camel and see what the fuck happens. And see what happens, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and that's what I'm saying. And then Iron Sheik took that shit, you know? And, or or Vince and, pa- Vince and Ken Patera getting mad at each other during the van thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and how goddamn entertaining and funny is Roddy Piper on TNT? Amazing. Fantastic. Two times. Two times. <laughs> like. Fuji Vice. <laughs> Fuji Vice. Nobody was writing that shit for those guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and honestly, if you're a boss and you want to find the best performing worker that you have, how better than to take them, sit them down in a chair, and now you have to look at me <laughs> and try to outperform me. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like Vince, Vince took Roddy Piper, sat him in a chair, and said, we're going to go toe-to-toe and talk. Now try to out-talk me. Because people know in 84, 85, but Vince McMahon is, and if somebody says I'm wrong, they're fucking ignorant, but Vince McMahon's one of the top five performers in professional wrestling history. Yeah. So now he's taking these people that, and he's putting them in front of him, and they have to entertain him. And I know people, oh, we don't, you know, Vince is trying to get himself entertained, or Vince is trying to do... No, and at that time, 
that's what Vince was looking for. If if they could pop Vince or they could, could you know, captivate him, then they can captivate or pop the audience. Right. So when like a Roddy Piper or a Bob Orton or an Adrian Adonis or Captain Lou would go on there, all right, this guy was fucking great. Let's move on with him. But then he brings Sal Balomo out there, and he's fucking building goddamn <laughs> sail, sailboats. Sail <laughs> comic books is like, hey, we gotta get rid of this guy, you know? <laughs> but fucking TNT was fantastic. I agree. I, you will find no disagreement here. I get uh, I get much enjoyment out of watching old episodes of Tuesday Night Titans. I mean, all right. So my last guilty pleasure. This character gets shit on a lot. And I think this character, it's cheesy. It's goofy. We're back in the, I never left the W, go figure, guilty pleasures are all WWE things. But I was a fan of when I was, when I was a kiddo and I still am today. I like Papa Shango. Yeah, I like the Papa Shango gimmick. For its time, it was very dark. And yeah, they did some cheesy shit with the stuff with the warrior and the goo and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, the voodoo guy, the voodoo master, I mean, that's a real thing. It's not like they, you know, I mean, whether or not voodoo's real or not, those people exist. Um, it was actually based on, the character's based on a, uh, a, a, a voodoo god. Um and I, I, I just, like, when I was a kid, I was actually more terrified of that gimmick than I was of The Undertaker. And I thought it was so cool, and I still do. And I really wish, looking back on it now, looking at his shoot interview and stuff, and, and seeing the pictures they showed on the WWE Network on Table for Three, in 97, when he came back as Kamo Mustafa, they were actually considering, like, an even darker, more edgy Papa Shango to come back and they showed some pictures of it on that table for three and it looked really creepy and really cool. Uh, some really, of the, really? Yeah. Some of the makeup they had for him. There was the one he did with, uh, Mark Henry and, uh, Ron Simmons. Um, well, I watched that then. I haven't seen that. I am a fan of the Papa Shango gimmick there. I said it. <laughs> I thought Papa Shango was cool. Nothing wrong with that. Um, And I, I mean, I just like Charles Wright in general. But oh, yeah. The Papa but like, Shango when I think gimmick. about, like, Papa Shango, you know, mm-hmm. that's one of the, like, uh, a guy like, like Charles Wright, it makes me think about if the funny shit in my mind where I'm like, oh, hey, we have a new gimmick for you, but we're not going to change your look. <laughs> have Papa Shango coming out like, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Big Daddy Shango now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked Papa Shango, and I didn't even mind the shit where fucking Ultimate Warrior had goo coming out of his head. Like, At least it was different. <laughs> that, and if you're going to do that with a character, why wouldn't you do it with the Ultimate Warrior? Right, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, who else is going to be all fucking insane like that? And, or like, who? what other character at that time 
other than The Undertaker, which those two weren't going to feud, would you have getting fucking possessed and shit? You right. know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so you have you have any left, or did we cover them all? No, that was it. All right. Let's talk about some of the listeners um, here. Uh, the comments that they made, and we'll see if we have any opinions on this. Uh, I asked some of our listeners in our Facebook group to comment on what some of their guilty pleasures in wrestling are. Jamie Patterson says, Table bumps. Doesn't matter if it's a great, good, or garbage, I always mark out for them. You know, a table bump, to me, Jamie, I have to say, and... Do I think in wrestling overall, over the years, table bumps became played out and, um, what do I want to say? Passe, yes. But, I have to say, I have to give Jamie credit here. Whenever we're at a live show and there's a table bump, I do pop for it. Yeah. So, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't disagree with Jamie on that one. Um, the greatest table bump ever? was fucking ridiculous. But it's still my favorite table bump ever. And it was Bubba putting May through it. <laughs> that was good stuff. <laughs> fucking ridiculous. <laughs> but it's the greatest table bump ever. Archie Mitchell says his one of his uh, guilty pleasures is Divas matches. Archie, how did I know? No problem with that. Wesley Kimbler says hard, hardcore and... Hardcore slash death matches. Eh, Wesley, there, it's funny because there's an intrigue to that at some points. Because I was actually going to put on my list at one point, when I was compiling this list of guilty pleasures, I was going to say, me in 1994, 1995, would have said one of my guilty pleasures is FMW. Oh yeah, because because it was it was like something it was nothing you'd ever seen before as an American wrestling fan kid. Um, I can't, but I can't say. So I guess I can kind of sort of see what he's saying there, but I can't say dude, that. I dude, can't. I know, I know for a fact. I know for a fact that in like '96, you and I were watching. A fucking VHS tape and Masato Tanaka went neck and back first into an electric fucking barbed wire rope deal and it exploded and his fucking hair stood up on end. Yes. <laughs> and got electrocuted. And act- both of us were like, that's fucking amazing. Some, somewhere in my in my like five or six tubs of wrestling DVDs. I actually have the DVD versions of those uh, those FMW video me, cassettes we watched. We should we should. I'll get one of those out sometime. We'll watch it together and review it on the show. But to me, like the deathmatch stuff is this. Okay, it's if it's two professional wrestlers in there that can have a match and weave that into it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, if it starts out like a match, and we know that there's exploding barbed wire, and eventually 
the shit's gonna it, it, it eventually the shit's gonna crescendo and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and then when the big explosion or the big fucking stunt happens and that's the end of the match I'm cool with it right what bugs me with the deathmatch hardcore shit is say Masato Tanaka would go out and immediately get thrown into the exploding barbed wire get blown up and then he wrestles for 25 more minutes yes there's a difference I with, hate that. there's a and, and there's also a difference to me like you said they're professional wrestlers building to a spot there's a huge difference between what FMW did and what CZW does now yeah like they like, they immediately just start hitting each other with weed whackers and shit, and it's yeah. like, you know. and, and I, I you might not be as big of a fan of him as I am, so I'll say one guy that I'm a fan of, and then I'll say another guy that I know you're a fan of that I'm a fan of too, like Sabu, okay? Mm-hmm. Sabu didn't go right out there right away and just table 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 barbed wire. It's done, you know. Right. He went out there, and at first, would like he'd hit his. I, I I'm not saying he wouldn't do like his springboard like drop and all that shit, but it would start out wrestling, and it would eventually turn into now I need to do this hardcore shit to try to beat this guy. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. Fucking um, Cactus Jack was the same way. Yeah. You know, like those guys are fantastic. Because it built. Exactly. Guys like Nick Mondo and and fucking... Madman um, Mad Pondo. Yeah, Madman Pondo and fucking Danzig. Those guys can all fuck themselves. But I'm, I'm getting off on a tangent. Go ahead. Ashley J. Smith says one of his guilty pleasures is knowing the origins of certain moves. And I can see that. I always thought it was cool... One of the cool aspects of the Mankind character was when uh, Jim Ross would explain the, the origins of the Mandible Claw. And, uh, you know, that what was the guy's name? Dr. Sam Shepard, I think the wrestler's name was from the 50s or 60s. Yeah, Harrison Ford. <laughs> the Fugitive. <laughs> yeah. Um, it wasn't me. It was the one-armed man. It was the one-armed guy. Um, Dave Duncan says gimmick matches. Some of us like the gimmicks, Dave. Um, it depends on the gimmick match for me. There's some that I dig, some that I think. Are, I, my well, thing. Go on back to like the origins of like a move, like a uh, the sleeper hold. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you had Ed the Strangler Lewis. He figured out you can, like you know, I know it wasn't real. Obviously, but like, well, most rest, you, most I, most fundamental wrestling moves are rooted in reality, though. Yeah, like the sleeper hold, you could put somebody out with that. That that's a actual, as far as I know, that is an actual police maneuver. Mm-hmm. Like if a suspect is becoming unruly, you could put him out with a sleeper hold, you know, or. Shit like that. So I, I don't want to pass over what Ashley said, but it, it's good to know the origins of a finisher. And 
whatnot. But go ahead, sorry. Josh Blevins says quadriplegic midgets wrestling in orange colored grape jello refed by Marv Albert wearing a tutu and a bikini top. <laughs> That's on TNT on Wednesdays. <laughs> <laughs> shit all right so now i'm looking at yours and the first one is uh response is archie mitchell says my guilty pleasure is chocolate sauce covered women's wrestling not gonna argue with that are we i'm not gonna argue with it at all archie you the man and then ashley j smith also comments my guilty pleasure quote unquote is a wrestling anime known as kinekuman I have no idea what you just said. Well, Aaron, Aaron, Aaron's not the anime guy in this family. I am. I have Funimation. I am an anime guy, so I'm going to check out Kinnikuman, Ashley, and we'll get back to that on the show. I haven't seen it, but I'll check it out, and we'll talk about it. All right. So that being no said. No fucking idea what that means. <laughs> what you just said, I have no idea. <laughs> Uh, all right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, listeners of the We Can't Wrestle podcast, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we will discuss the legendary wrestler Royal Albert Hall and a commemorative <laughs> battle royal for him in 1991 with the WWF over there in England. Do you, know, do you know what my favorite is? What's that? Royal Albert Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a nice fro. I like his fro. Yeah. We'll be right back with more of the We Can't Wrestle. working out. It's just fucking terrible. <laughs> with more of the We Can't Wrestle podcast. You were getting died. It's terrible. Excuse my brother. All right, wrestling fans, welcome back wrestle podcast and uh, Nate and Aaron here with you we just went through some uh, some guilty pleasures in wrestling and now we're going to talk about some classic wrestling we're going back to October 3rd 1991 in the Royal Albert Hall in London England the Battle Royal um, I didn't watch the whole show because there's a whole show associated with this I just watched the Battle Royal um, there's going to be um, my, mainly my, my takeaways on this, a lot of it is going to be just about the individual wrestlers that are in the Battle Royal. So I don't know if you want to start, Aaron. I can name off all of the uh, participants and we could talk about them a little bit okay. and then we'll, we'll talk about the match. Well, before we do that. Okay. got to bring somebody to the stage that we got to talk about okay is this, okay. A, is this a hall of shame induction i didn't understand i didn't know no, about this is a hall of fame induction oh okay because you know at some point we have to do the 2020 we can't wrestle hall of shame but uh, oh no we do all right hall, of, hall of fame this, this was a hall of fame deal mm-hmm. ready mm-hmm. um 
Trongard was a commentator for the American Wrestling Alliance professional wrestling promotion throughout the 80s, calling matches involving the likes of Hulk Hogan, Nick Bockwinkel, Bobby Heenan, Vern Gagne, the Road Warriors, and Shawn Michaels, and many others. Calling them poorly. Trongard was the featured AWA's ESPN broadcaster, reaching millions of homes Which from around the world. Which is why you should watch that world. show on mute. His signature phrase was from coast to coast to continent to continent and border to border. During the broadcast, he often included city names in the phrase signifying the broad reach of wrestling in the AWA's broadcast at the time. From coast to coast. Alongside fellow commentators Lord James Blairs and Lee Marshall, Trongard left the AWA in 1988 for a brief but fucking amazing stint. It does in not the say that. Wrestling Federation before retiring from the wrestling scene in early 1989. While well, in the WWF, he performed commentary alongside superstar Billy Graham, Lord Alfred Hayes, Hillbilly Jim, and Sean Mooney. As a wrestling announcer, Tron Guard generally favored shitty commentary. Wrestlers. I am here with my stupid afro, my stupid glasses, my shitty commentary. I'm Ron Tra Rod Trongard, and I'm gonna give you the worst of. I'd rather listen to Jack Reynolds commentate a match with Angelo Mosca than I'd listen to that fucking guy. I hate Rod. He's the worst. Wrestling announcer ever. Some of these indie guys are better than that guy. Ed Whalen was better than Rod Trongard. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, God. What a piece of shit. <laughs> it's just probably a nice guy. Probably a very nice guy. I'm sorry. Just probably a really gentle, gentle guy and nice fella. Who blew his way into... <laughs> A position in the AWA, and uh, yeah, God rest his just, God rest his soul. <laughs> it just cracked me up when I was like, "Oh yeah, we're going to talk about the legendary career of Ron Trongard." <laughs> you were like, "Who?" God, I hate that guy. As a commentator, again, didn't know him as a person. Could have been a very swell gentleman. I'm not hating on him as a person, but as a, as a wrestling broadcaster, he's just the worst. Just the worst. That guy that commentated XPW was better than him. The Hispanic guy? No. The the white guy with the mullet. Oh, the fake Joey Styles? Yes. <laughs> that guy sucked. <laughs> he did, but he wasn't he wasn't as sucky as Ron Trongard. Is it Ron or Rod? <laughs> Rod. Rod? If you're going to hate a motherfucker, know his name. No. <laughs> Alright, so let's go to something that's good. This Battle Royal. I have notes about all the matches. No, the, the, I didn't watch the whole show. I just watched the Battle Royal. I thought that's what we were talking about. The show is called the Battle Royal at the Royal Albert. Yeah, and I watched the Battle Royal. That's what I watched. Oh, God, you half-assed it. 
I didn't even half-ass like, it. It's the last Bond twenty. Bond. It's the last half hour of the show. <laughs> I like quarter-assed it. <laughs> I'm sure it was an amazing spectacle. <laughs> I watched the whole thing. It's a three-hour show. Yeah, I watched a half hour of it. <laughs> For fuck's sakes. So let's talk about the Battle Royal. <laughs> no, we're going to talk about the shit that I watched. All right, you start. I'm going to have no opinion because I didn't watch it. How did you not because, watch the because, show? Because when we were discussing what to watch, you said the Battle Royal from Royal Albert Hall. So I watched the Battle Royal from That's Royal Albert Hall. That's the name of the show. <laughs> Oh, fuck. It's funny. <laughs> this is really funny. <laughs> so I guess the next ten minutes are all you, because I got, I got nothing. <laughs> okay. At the beginning of this fucking show, called The Battle Royal from the Royal what Robert is, Hall. What a stupid name for a show, if it's not all the Battle Royal anyway. But anyway... <laughs> The show starts with the Rockers versus the Nasty Boys with Jimmy Hart. And this match is fantastic. Sorry, I'm not lying. This match is great. And it shows that people can say what they want to say about the Nasty Boys, but in this era, like... 89 through like 93 if the nasty boys were in there with somebody really like a really good team Mm -hmm. they were fantastic they were they were good like we talked about uh uh when we talked about on the on the memories you know we talked about our our memories like the memorable things that we remember in in pro wrestling when they were in there with the steiners yeah they were fucking fantastic yeah like but go back and watch the show, which you should do, because that's what we were supposed to do. <laughs> they have a fantastic match with the Rockers, and in my opinion, the three best teams that the Nasty Boys worked with were the Steiner Brothers, which we just mentioned, right. the Rockers, mm-hmm. which if anybody other than me would have watched this match, they would know. <laughs> And um, they had really good matches with um, Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart. Yeah, the Hart they, Foundation. They, the, their, um, their little feud, it, was, it wasn't very long, but their little feud with the Hart Foundation is one of my favorite tag feuds ever. Well, the Nasty Boys end up winning this match, and it's really good. They end up winning because they use... Jimmy's megaphone. Um, then there's a very basic Ric Flair promo with Gene Okerlund, and he's wearing the green robe. Um, he's just talking about how he's going to win the Battle Royal, and since you don't know this, he's going into one-on-one competition with Tito Santana. Which I'm sure... I've seen, I've seen Flair wrestle Santana, and they always had good matches. You haven't seen this one, though. 
Oh, I've probably um, seen it, but I didn't see it recently. So up next, Flair cut that promo, and it's now Ric Flair versus Tio Santana, and it is a very good match. Um, and what I put as my notes was that I wish Ric Flair would have had a longer run in the WWF at this time. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that the story goes that he told Vince that if he wouldn't have been, if he was like portrayed as anything but a main event player, he could walk out whenever he wanted. Right. You know, it's like, okay, oh, if I'm not a main event player, I can walk out whenever I want. So then he leaves and he goes to WCW. He goes back to WCW. You can't tell me that when he went back there that Vince would have used him worse than what he was used when he left Vince. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah especially like, especially come the Hogan era. <laughs> yeah, like like he left and went back basically right when that started. You know, I would have preferred to see a Ric Flair maybe not the world champion the entire time. But seeing him feud with the guys like Tito Santana mm-hmm. and Baby Boy Smith and um, um, uh, who else in my mind? Well, I mean, like you, you go in, you go in just another couple of years. You know, you have the emergence of Shawn Michaels as a huge star, or Razor Ramon as yeah. a babyface. Yeah. yeah, that that would have been fan. I would have preferred to see Ric Flair feuding with those guys instead of having a match on a fucking pay-per-view with Conan. Mm-hmm. You know? But that's neither here nor there. Um, Flair beats Tito Santana with a handful of tights. And if you would have sell it, you would agree that it was a two-and-a-half star match. <laughs> and then Mean Gene Okerlund interviews the big boss man, and he does an adequate promo. Because Boston's getting ready to face the earthquake. And I wrote this question down. So maybe we can just discuss this. I'm a Boss Man fan. Mm-hmm. You're a Boss Man fan, mm-hmm. correct? Yes. Which Boss Man is your favorite Boss Man? 80s Boss Man? 90s Boss Man? Or Attitude Era Boss Man? My favorite Boss Man is... Attitude Era Boss Man, because there's I, there are very there are very rarely more bigger pieces of shit characters. <laughs> that his 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 Attitude Era character is one of the greatest piece of shit heels in wrestling history. Nobody liked that guy, and it was fantastic. Yes, that music starts. And it's just instant. Just, yes, there's not a there's not a cheer in the house for the boss man. And I'm not saying yeah. I don't like, you know, '80s babyface big boss man or Twin Towers big boss man. Or I mean, I just I love Ray Trailer's whole career, but my favorite iteration of that character is definitely that Attitude Era piece of shit big boss man. Yeah. Um. 
so 90s boss man is getting ready to, to tangle up with the earthquake and they have a terrible match um which earthquake wins and earthquakes out there with jimmy hart and what i put on this is that jimmy hart is all over this fucker like he is everywhere on this fucking show like do your due diligence like you should have done go back and watch this fucking jimmy hart is everywhere like all of his people are on this fucking show and he's he's just everywhere it's the hardest working man in wrestling that night. Oh, yeah. So, um, up next, the Mountie comes out, and he's going to cut a promo, and guess who he's with? Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart! <laughs> and he's going to wrestle Kerry Von Erich. Okay? But, in the promo he says i don't want to know about that guy i don't want to know about that guy like he, he's like not wanting to talk about his challenger but then he goes and tonight i'm gonna beat kevin von eric <laughs> do you think it was a slip up or do you think it was a rib <laughs> no he fucked up he said i'm gonna beat a kevin von eric well, then uh, the Texas Tornado Carry Von Eric comes out. <coughs> Excuse me. And we get this Carry Von Eric Mountie match. <coughs> and it's going on. And the match ends when Carry Von Eric has the Mountie in the turnbuckle, the Mountie grabs Carrie Von Eric's legs, and when he does that, puts both his feet on the very top rope of the corner and gets the one, two, three. And this would have been funny to you if you would have watched the show, because I made a joke. Bobby Heenan said, oh, he was so tall that his feet got caught in the ropes and that's why that happened okay like because gorilla was like oh bobby he cheated he put his feet on the ropes and bobby was like no he's so tall his feet got caught monsoon so what i wrote was oh apparently the mountie had a foot on um carrie von Erich. <laughs> who didn't <laughs> and i want to say this because like i said i wrote down Comments for each entrant in the in the battle royal. Um, Mountie, we talked about piece of shit heels. That character is one of the greatest swarmy heels in wrestling history. Jacques, okay. Jacques Rougeau hit a home run with that Mountie character. Fantastic. And. Something I wrote down was, you know, like a lot of times we debate on whether um, who were the best guys that never worked face or never worked heel. Mm -hmm. I don't think Harry Von Erich was ever a heel. Um, he was not. David the only, was. Yeah, the, I was going to say the only Von Erich that ever was was David in Florida. Um, that I know. 
Yeah, Carrie, Kevin. I don't think Carrie or Kevin ever worked heel. So. All right. Well, um, the next thing that happened on this that you should have watched was Undertaker and Paul Bearer actually had a pretty cool, like, on the, like, something they did that was cool on the show is they alternated the promos. Like, there'd be a promo in the back with Gene interviewing him, and then it would go like face heel, face heel, face heel, and then Gene would interview him on the stage, and then it would go. But Undertaker and Paul Bearer had like an in the Roy Albert Hall funeral parlor, and the next match was The Undertaker versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And when Undertaker came out, they had a dude play on the pipe organ Undertaker's Funeral March. So as Undertaker's coming out, the guy's playing the like the Undertaker's theme, but he's playing it on a pipe organ. It's playing through the Royal Albert Hall. It was pretty fucking cool. Yeah, I remember that. Like I said, I know I've seen I've watched the whole show before, I just didn't watch it for this but I remember seeing that and I remember thinking it was pretty fucking cool so it's the Undertaker versus Jim Duggan and it's not bad um Taker does something that a lot of people sleep on now but still watching to me is badass it is fucking amazing that a guy that fucking big could walk a rope. It is. <laughs> and in this one, I swear to God, he walks all the way out to the middle of the fucking rope. It's fucking insane. The balance that that takes I, for a guy that size know, is crazy. And I know the guy is holding his hand as he does it, mm. but that still doesn't fucking matter. Like, you could hold my hand as I walked out on uh, a fucking paint scaffold, and I'd probably still fucking tip. <laughs> you know what I mean? But this guy is fucking 6'9", 300 fucking pounds, and he can walk a goddamn wrestling top rope. It's fucking amazing. It's crazy. And Taker ends up beating Jim Duggan by DQ because Duggan gets pissed and hits um, Undertaker with his 2x4 in front of the ref. And he calls the match. And so far, every heel has won their match. Is what it is. Um, The next match is LOD versus Power and Glory. It's an okay match, but predictable because obviously Power and Glory were not going to be at the LOD. Power and Glory were a really, really good tag team. They and, were. And, and they and, were two really, really, really talented human beings. And I remember and back I, then, even. I hate Paul Roma, but Paul Roma was really no, I re- good as a tag team I, performer. I, rem- I remember back then, even, thinking that, that Power and Glory should have had a run with the titles, you know? I, I I think they were a really good team. They didn't have Slick with them, which was weird. <laughs> but apparently they had to pay Jimmy Hart 
27 times to come out. <laughs> Maybe they didn't have slick money. Um, <clears throat> but the LOD ends up beating Power and Glory, obviously. Um, the next match, and these guys wrestled a couple times, and every time I saw them wrestle, I enjoyed it because I'm a fan of both of them. Um, the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, defeated the Barbarian with a power slam. And I just... Barbarian is a guy... Barbarian is a big man worker that does not get mentioned enough in the lists. And I know I know we had him listed by, way back when, when we did our top ten uh, big man wrestlers. I think you and I both had him on our list. But in the general consensus, Barbarian does not get mentioned as much as he should as one of the best big man wrestlers ever. That guy's fucking was fucking amazing. He was, and <clears throat> he, if he could have, uh, I don't want to say he can talk. Like if he would have been able to cut a promo and it had a little bit more of a personality, I think he would have been a bigger star. Um, so now we come to the part of the show that I actually watched. As your main host, I let you down, I do have to point something out. Okay. Throughout this entire show, um, Mel Phillips was involved. Do you lick anybody's toes or anything? That's what I was going to say. Like, every time I see that guy, I'm like, ugh. Put my shoes on. <laughs> so now we get to the battle royal. Gorilla Monsoon's like, let's go down to this toe-looking baby raper, Mel Phillips. <laughs> it's time for the battle royal for what Bobby Heenan calls a teapot. Yes. He also said that if Jim Duggan wins it, he's going to get peanut butter and jelly fingerprints all over it. <laughs> participants in the battle royal before before oh. the pay-per-view or before the pay-per-view before the battle royal if you would have watched the nasty voice also cut a promo and brian knob said a couple funny things he said oh mean gene not since the nasty boys came here has anything been so bad i mean these people have had a couple plagues <laughs> and then he said, "He said, and then some silly dude named Adolf came over here and started a problem. But it ain't nothing compared to what the nasty boys are going to do. Comparing themselves to Hitler. Yes. And then Bobby Heenan said that Jim Duggan was going to get peanut butter and jelly fingerprints all over the teapot. <laughs> Participants. Are the Texas Tornado Kerry Von Erich, who I think could have been a much bigger star in the WWF had he not. I mean, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I obviously I wasn't there. I wasn't behind the scenes. I'm always I've always assumed that Kerry's personal demons are what kept him from being a bigger star there. Because obviously, obviously, Vince wanted to strap the rocket to him because when he first came in, he was a big fucking deal. And by the time he left, he was a big fucking jobber. Um, 
So I'm assuming that Carrie was Carrie's worst enemy in the WWF. He kept going in circles. Yeah. Yeah. Could have been, like, if he would have put his other foot on. (laughs) Also, the natural disasters. The Mountie, who we talked about earlier, who is uh, one of the best shit heels of all time. The Rockers. Vince said, said, hey, Carrie, I need you to put your best foot forward. And Carrie's like, oh, gosh, I only got one. Dang! The Mountie, the Rockers, one of the best tag teams ever. We talked about Barbarian, one of the best big man wrestlers ever. He's in this deal. The Big Boss Man, also one of the best big man wrestlers of all time. Power and Glory, who we discussed, were uh, were a really good tag team. Probably deserved a title reign. Jim Duggan, who apparently uh, fought The Undertaker earlier in the night that I didn't see. Yeah, I've seen all of these guys on something. I can't remember what it was, though. Oh, it was the show that we were supposed to watch. I was going to say WrestleMania 8. Um, Power and Glory. Jim Duggan. The Nasty Boys. The Nature Boy Ric Flair. The Legion of Doom. The British Bulldog. I was surprised he didn't come out last. The Undertaker. And Roddy Piper. Alright, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. And it is something that after we, we I, I don't know if this is a um, cool topic or not, but it's something that I thought of. The LOD, okay? Mm-hmm. Do you look at the LOD as NWA guys that came to the WWF? And became WWF guys or NWA guys that came to the WWF and remained NWA guys. Does that make sense? Yes, they remained NWA guys. I think that although they were over in the WWF, um, they are one of those, they're like Ricky Steamboat for me. They're one of those acts that... I associate more with NWA, WCW than I do the WWF. All right. So that's what I want to do. We're going to review In Your House 2. Spoiler alert. Next episode, we're going to review In Your House 2. Um, So I'll do that. I'm going to take five guys that were in both companies, and that's what I'm going to ask you. Is is this person a NWA guy or a WWF guy? Does that make sense? Yep. And then you'll have to tell me why you feel that way. But I won't interrupt anymore. Talk about the Battle Royal. Talking about the Battle Royal, it gets off to a hot start. Flair goes out the middle ropes, so he's not eliminated. There's stuff with Flair and Piper, which, I mean, Flair and Piper, what... You know, they were best friends, obviously. So, but what, what charisma between these two guys? What chemistry? Um, I don't think WWF did enough with Flair and Piper together in that, in that feud. They kind of blew it off, you know, and never had like a pay-per-view payoff. And I, I get it that he came in and then it was off to the Rumble and it was off to Mania and blah, blah, blah. And everything moved so fast. But 
how awesome would have been if these guys would have got a pay per view blow off for their feud. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was saying about with Flair. Like they tried to maximize what they had with him mm-hmm. for the year that they knew it. They knew the year they knew they had him. And if he would have stuck around, it would have been a completely different aspect, in my opinion. Absolutely. Hercules is the first guy out. And then, <laughs> I don't know, I, I don't have all, obviously I didn't write down all the eliminations, but Marty Jannetty gets eliminated. And, um, gr- or not Gorilla, um, Alfred says, One of the Rockers is out! I believe it's Marty Jannetty! And Bobby Heenan goes, Well, that doesn't matter. <laughs> It's so funny. It's so nonchalant. Just starts the career of Marty Jannetty. <laughs> that doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, God. Um, any notes that you have so far? Um, not in this match, but Bobby Heenan said that um, he didn't understand what anybody over in England, like he said, I'm over here. I don't understand what anybody's saying. And girl's like, what do you mean, Bobby? And he goes, they all talk like they have a toothache. I thought that was funny. I don't know why. Uh, something else I noted about this match is, uh, I believe it's uh, Roma. It's either, yeah, it's Roma, because Hercules was, was eliminated early. <clears throat> Roma and Hawk wind up on the outside at the same time. And um, just the amazing athlete that Hawk was, was something I noticed here. Um, he just, outside the ring, just a standing drop kick on Paul Roma. <laughs> Off the concrete floor, just standing drop kick. Doesn't get a, doesn't get anything, you know, he's got no ropes to help him out or anything. He just jumps off it. of his feet and kicks that guy in the face. Both of those guys, not even Roma. Like, I understand what you're saying, because I like, you know I me, mean? I like Paul Roma, right. but... Animal and Hawk were fucking fantastic. Yeah. And Hawk's another guy. It's sad. It's sad that 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 his his demons um, sunk its teeth into so much of his career because I think that even after... I think that both of those guys could have had the potential to break away... And, and I know, you know, nostalgia use says, oh, you would never break up the Road Warriors. But I'm just saying, both of those guys, early in their life, had the talent to one day break that tag team up and become gigantic single stars. You know, yeah. one, maybe one of them retains the Road Warrior kind of gimmick and the other one breaks off to something different, kind of like Sean and Marty did. You know, Marty always kind of remained the rocker, Marty Jannetty. And Sean went on to do something else, and and but I, I think that uh, you know you look back on their career and the the caliber caliber of athlete and professional they were, they both could have been something so much bigger if they if if especially if Hawk would have been able to keep his demons in check. Yeah. At one point in the mount the mouch, at one point in the match, Lord Alfred Hayes calls the Mountie. <laughs> That stinky Mountie. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was funny. Like, that's what he came up with. That stinky Mountie. Um, I, I don't have a lot on the Battle Royal here, um, other than a few quotes and things, but 
uh, unless you have something else on it, when we get to the end of it, because, you know, it's just kind of general eliminations. Uh, there's some drama with Flair and Piper, and then Piper and The Undertaker. I love that Piper tries to do the uh, the Undertaker. He tries to do the balls on the rope spot with The Undertaker. And The Undertaker no-sells it, which either means Undertaker has a balls of steel or no balls. So I'm thinking we're going with balls of steel. Yeah. Um, and I put in my notes that I actually enjoyed watching because it, it never happened anywhere else, it was kind of cool seeing Roddy Piper work with The Undertaker. Yes. The only other time probably was uh, Royal Rumble 92. Uh, but I don't think they even had much interaction in that match. No. I put down here as uh, the match builds, what a great fucking atmosphere this, this arena had. You should have seen it at the beginning. It was fantastic. <laughs> so we come down to Typhoon, Mountie, and the British Bulldog. So two of Jimmy Hart's protégés and the British Bulldog. And I put uh, 90% of eight, 70s, 80s, and 90s WWF Royal Rumbles wound up in this very position. This is how they were booked. This is how the WWF booked Battle Royals. You got your baby face against two heels to end the battle royal and of course the baby face have to, has to overcome the British Bulldog wins this thing to a huge pop and then as a nice surprise at the end Andre the Giant good stuff overall a very well executed battle royal and from what it sounds like from your amazing <laughs> recap a really good show you think you can't do things on your own but you did. Look at that. Okay. Look what you did. You think you need me to help you out doing this shit? What, what do that could. <laughs> Anything else on the Royal Albert Hall of Fame? You didn't even call it the right thing. I said Royal Albert Hall. Of but... Fame. Yeah, I know. That was a joke at the end. I'm just saying, <laughs> folks, if you want to watch a really good show that Nate did not watch. He did not. Watch the Battle Royal at the Royal Albert. And it is a actual three-hour show that is fantastic. It has great matches. Great promos. Go out of your way to watch this. It's a lost piece of wrestling history. It, it is very enjoyable. So thank you for joining us in the We Can't Wrestle podcast, episode 86. And as Aaron said... Don't look, don't look um, Mel Phillips right in the eye. <laughs> Especially when he's sucking on your toes. <laughs> Also, don't look in the bathroom mirror and say Mel Phillips three times in a row. <laughs> or he'll come up behind you and rape you in the ass. Oh, my. <laughs> while, Ron, while Rod Trongard commentates, right up the butthole. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> from border to border, from border to border, and coast to coast. I really like white toast. I like white toast. I'm a fucking asshat. All right. So, uh. Ed Whalen one time said, he's a ramadama ding dong. And he was talking about Rod Trongard. <laughs> no, he was actually talking about Terry Funk. Oh. <laughs> you guys can find that also if you, uh, Search Stampede Wrestling. There's a match where um, Terry Funk's involved in it, and and Terry Funk slams somebody into a table, and Ed Whalen goes, "He's a rama dama ding dong." Oof. <laughs> Ed Whalen is my Ron, my Rod Trongard. Ed, Ed Whalen's bad. I'm not disputing that at all. Not at all. But uh, Tron Guard is just my personal least favorite ever, ever. So I'm going to find Al Jolson here, get some Tootsie queued up. <laughs> get some Tootsie. It sounds like a, like a 20s expression for buying a prostitute. <laughs> some cocaine. <laughs> I'm going to get some Tootsie tonight. I'm going to find Al Jolson and get me some Tootsie. <laughs> Bill's gonna have a good night tonight. That's hot. <laughs> Wait a minute, I tell you. <laughs> I wish I could live in the twenties so I could talk like super fast and just say some <laughs> insane shit. Yeah, that's a good egg. Yeah, he's a he's a tough egg. He's the big six, I tell you. That's hot. Wait a minute, I tell you. He's the big six. <laughs> Ah, shit, I love it. So like we discussed earlier, uh, during the break, Aaron had me break down some, uh, he said, choose a promotion, choose a year, choose a month. I chose, I chose, I chose, and we landed on July 23rd, 1995. It's the second In Your House pay-per-view. Like I told Aaron, I believe it's the one from Nashville. It's a really good show from my recollection. So we are going to watch that on next week's show. It's a really big show. It's a really big show. And uh, so much more. And uh, I think Al is coming up here. Mr. Jolson is about to start. uh, There we go. He's serenading us out of here, Aaron. Say goodbye to your loyal listeners. That was quite eloquent. Goodbye. Tootsie is playing. We're signing off. Thank you all for joining us on episode 86 of the We Can't Wrestle podcast. And we'll see you next time around as we're going to Nashville for In Your House number two in 1995. We'll see you next week. Hey, hey. Don't cry, Tootsie, don't cry. Check my balls. <laughs> <laughs>